0: Welcome to I Bought a Football Club. My name's Stephen Cleave, chairman of Kingsley in Town Football Club, and I take you behind the scenes of running a football club in this show, which I think they'll find interesting. It normally is. We've got... I want to say thank you to the huge number of replies I've had recently asking me when's the next episode coming out, and I, I, I have to apologise, because on the 25th of October was the last one, and I did say I'll try and do one every two weeks, which meant I should have done one in November, and I haven't done one until February. But what you must understand is... Uh, well, you might must understand, but what I'd like you to understand is that I'm, uh, I, I'm the manager. We had to change the manager. And the amount of time that that took was three weeks from crack of dawn to the end of the day, going through it. And there were lots I'd like to tell you about that. And there will be bits I will tell you in the future, but probably not right now. It's probably not it. Um, but I will give you a little bit of a flavour for it because people might find that interesting. And so I, I apologise for the the lack of, lack of a... Uh, lack of, uh, lack of, um, well, the lack of just episodes, really. But we'll try and change it. I'm, I'm, what I'm going to commit to is one a month, and then I might give you bonus episodes as and when I'm able to. So one a month, um, which we'll definitely do. So this is February's. Um, we've got a good interview today with a chap called Niall, um, who is from Niall Cooper, to give his real name, uh, who is the, he, he runs something called Fair Game, or he's involved in Fair Game, involved in the fan-led review of Football Governance, he 's also involved in Wimbledon Football Club as a um, a member of that committee of that that trust which owns Wimbledon which um, and i think you 'll find the interview i mean i wasn 't sure if I was going to enjoy the interview a lot because a lot of these things i don 't necessarily one hundred percent agree with, but having said that there's a lot of the the, the, the fair game bit I do agree with what i what i 'm worried about is always how they're going to regulate things and how it's going to happen and putting more administration in the way and that that kind of thing. And I've covered a lot of these points with uh, Naz. I'm not going to re-go over them, so there's a long interview, it's an hour's interview, uh, but I think you'll find it. We talk about Rex and we talk about Gary Neville, we talk about um, Wimbledon, lots of interesting things. And I, um, I've got to read the manifesto to go through it all, at the end of it all, to find exactly... If it covers the detail which I'd like on certain things, but I am slightly worried about various issues. And I put my article on the EDP website, which if you want to, if you put Stephen Cleave EDP into Google, you can see my article, which gives you the basics of why I'm worried about the fan-led review, but not necessarily the fair game or the fan-led review. And I've, but we've covered a lot of those points today. Which um, yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's interesting, and I think it's worth listening to, and I think I. I think the interview that we've done with Niall today, or I've done with Niall today, is different to what you would have heard them do elsewhere, which really, most of the other interviewers just bang the drum and it's more of a PR exercise. They're PR kings, they're great good at it. I mean, Niall's in PR is his day job. Um, and they ask the questions, they don't really get behind them, and um I, 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 I you know you don't have to do that in an antagonistic way it, it, it's going more in a, an exploratory way to understand the thinking the thoughts behind it and because they're not necessarily football people asking the questions they haven't really asked the right ones. so i think today we've resolved that and i think you'll find it a very interesting uh, um yeah a very interesting um interview so by all means call me if you're or call me uh, email me if you want uh, any further questions and any further points that you have or get me in contact want to be in contact with me, just email me at chairman at kltown.co.uk. Uh, when was the last time your chairman gave you his email address? It doesn't happen very often. I'm all for communication and being open and honest. Now, look, I've been very honest in my programme notes this weekend, which you can subscribe to. You can buy on, online at our shop, kltown.co.uk. Uh, it's against Weymouth. If you're a Weymouth fan, you'll read them. It's a double issue. It also covers the old fixture. And I have gone through, because what I find very difficult, I'm going to do a little bit of um, background onto um, the manager and what happened and everything else, but i want to be careful what I say. But the... A lot of it, you get these fans and they say, oh, why would, why were you not in for him? Or why did you not go for him? And they don't, and, and what I put in my programme notes, and I, and I can only sum it up this way, and it's not meant at all disrespectfully, is that you don't know what you don't know. And I can't be more specific than that, but a lot of the time, if, if you knew what I knew, you'd think, oh, well, okay, that's different. And it's hard for me because I'm stuck in the middle. and I'm you know, uh, But I have revealed in my programme notes this weekend a couple of... Very incidents, very important incidences, which shows a player that we went in for was rejected. Where he'd ended up at, at arrival, how he got there, why why it happened, and it's you know it's obviously before Tommy the the, the new manager's watch. But I've gone through it all as a as as, as a specific example. It's, it's not a particularly um, um, what's the word? Um, um, I can't think of what the word I'm looking for. But it's not a particularly it's it's not, it's not a yeah it's not going to cause a lot of anyone any issues. But but it is. An important thing to understand, and you'll probably those of you in it, that, that read the article will therefore see it. So have a read of that and let me know what your thoughts are. Um, as regards you know, appointing a new manager, just to, just to give you a bit of a flavour. So it obviously I was stuck with the previous manager. I, um, it, it was always open knowledge um, that. We never gelled together as a team, and I think it's an important gel. The reason being, and, and I get it from my my old manager's perspective, he felt that I needed someone, he called it a mate. I don't see it like that, but I know what he meant. What he meant was I needed someone that I could talk to and, and be, you know, and, and, and I've got that with Tommy, and I do think that's important, whereas Ian's a bit more of his own man, and I get that. That's, that's his, you know, way he does things, and that's nothing right or wrong. It's just the way he does things. Um. Some things come easily to him and act naturally, such as coaching, and other bits, you know, not so naturally. So, um, he, you know, me and him had very lots of conversations, and I was just saying to him, Look, the statistics don't lie, we're second for bottom of the league, we're not doing very well, we need to either change the style or change the change something because if we don't change, we're going to get relegated. Now, he didn't want to change, and specifically said, Even Uh, you know, publicly, he wasn't going to change. He gave people that did that on press conferences. So we then got into this stuck, and obviously stuck situation where the manager wants to go, but he wants a payoff uh, and doesn't want to admit that because otherwise he can't get the payoff. And I equally know that it can't work because he's told me it can't work because he's not going to change. Um, And obviously if you terminate, then you have to pay a, a huge amount of compensation so which we which the club essentially couldn't afford. So we were in this situation where we had to box, you know, not clever, but I had to say to him look either you accept a figure which is but don't get me wrong it was a, it was a, enough money for me to pay, but you either accept that um or else we just limp on to the end of the season. What what would you prefer? And um clearly he he needed to to find a, a solution and and um it's hard sometimes because they're being advised by someone called the LMA which is the League Managers Association which my manager was a, was a, was a member of and they get free legal advice as part of it so you're, you're dealing with a lawyer but it doesn't go through them it, they, they, they basically give them the information and then they, they copy and paste and send it on an email to you you know mm. so it's not easy and then I had to so one, but once it was dealt with and we agreed on the settlement thing which is what it's all about in these cases don't kid yourself anything else it's all about the money at the end um, and um, great ACDC song, Money Talks, Money Talks, Venus Walks, sums it up um, in, in, in two or four words. Um, and that's it. And, they, and all they want is to get out with a, with a good deal, uh, as best a deal what they can for themselves and move on. And what we need to do, obviously, is, 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 is re-recruit a, a new manager. So I had a false start, something which was going to work and didn't work. Um, didn't really even start before it stopped. It was a very strange situation. That's one for a later date. Um, I interviewed several people, some very big names that you'd heard of, some ex-players who are, again, big, big names. But the problem is that you have to go with the manager that you feel is right. There were one or two I liked the look of, but for location reasons couldn't come. Um, there were um, there were one or two who didn't have enough experience, but I feel would be go on to be excellent managers in the future. I really do think I'll be following their careers to see how they progress. And there was one or two that I just, who had got the experience and be, been there and done it in the National League. Um, but yet, were they as committed as I am? And were they going to give me their you know, heart, blood and soul for several months. And that's what it needs to, to get us out. And did they believe it? Did they really think we could get out of it? And um, everyone's looking at us now. 11 points on the table. Eight points under Ian Colehouse, three points under Tommy. Two, but looks, let's have a quick look at those those, those figures. We've, we've played away five games. We've played the top five teams. Sorry, we've played the top five teams away from home. So they're the five hardest games. We've played those already because they're away from home, the top the top five. We obviously are... We we beat Dover. We've had two games in the trophy. We won one. We lost one. The one we lost, you know, I believe was, we should have had a couple of penalties. We're getting the FA's view on that. Um, we went to to Halifax and got beaten. We had a lot of injuries, um, and they were top at the time. We went to Chesterfield and got, you know, they they squeezed a win out of us. We we defended with with honour. Uh, again, we had injuries, so we, you know, and we it was, it was very tough for us. Um, we went to Southend. We were robbed. Um, it was a penalty. Uh, sorry, it wasn't a penalty, but the referee gave the penalty, so it was a penalty in the referee's It wasn't anyone else's. Um, South End fans, to their credit, wrote to me. They thanked me. They said it were, they wished us well for the season, saying it wasn't a penalty. The player that was fouled, averted comments, didn't, didn't think it was a penalty, nor did their manager. So I've got to say, you've got to take your hats off to South End fans. None of them thought it was a penalty, but they felt that they deserved a bit of the rub of the green themselves because they've had some ter- ter- terrifically bad decisions go against them, which I can understand. So the 93rd win it, the referee gives it. Um, it wasn't. It was a brilliant challenge from Ross Barrows. What In my opinion, the challenge of the season... But yet, if you want to see it, go to my Twitter account. You'll see two, 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 two visions of it, two, two angles of it. And you'll see it there at Stephen Cleave. And um, it, it, there we go. It, 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 On oh, another day, we get a point. Unfortunately, the referee cost us the points. It's gone up to the powers that be. Um, they haven't ruled against us, so you can understand what I'm trying to say. Um, but we have got a, dis, um, a, a couple of hearings, one on the manager's behaviour and one on the player's behaviour, which we've now got to defend, which obviously would never have happened had the referee got it right in the first place. But there you go. So uh, we will see if we can get off those charges. The hearing date looks set to be on the 10th of February, and we will find out. But that's that. So, um, and then we had Notts County at home when I believe we should have had a penalty. Um, we should have had a foul to would have stopped their second goal. There was a potential offside on their fourth goal, very similar to the Harry Kane one when he scored against Chelsea. It was disallowed out. It was exactly the same situation. Um, but but there we go. Such is life. Um, we, uh, and I'm not saying that had we've got the penalty, whether Notts County could have gone up another gear and put another ball in the back of the net. They may have done. Who knows? But what I'm trying to say is we are not completely adrift. The game has changed. The way we're playing has changed. We're not playing balls across the six-yard box anymore, playing football on our own penalty box, which is what was crazy. Um, If you saw my stats, which I put in the UDP column, you'll see how poor they were, our stats. 66% of our goals either came away from giving our balls away on our own half or from dead ball situations. A lot of that's been stamped out. Um, But people are saying, why are we signing defenders and why are we why are we doing that and the answer to the question is because we need to shore up defense we haven't kept a clean sheet all season in any competition i'll repeat that in any competition that's extraordinary so we need to shore that up and if we can shore that up then we've got a chance and um there's good news coming from kingsley and fans so uh keep your eyes peeled, Um, getting strikers in. There isn't a shop where you can just go and buy one. They they just don't exist. We've tried so many options, but we need to bring someone in that's also not the same kind of player we've already got in the building, and that's not easy to do. So we have made a lot of inquiries. We've got seven games in less than 28 days, I think 26 days in February. Um, It's an awful lot of games. That February is going to determine where we are. Now, I believe that if we get 12 points in February, that will put us on 23 we then got to get nine in, in in March, six in April. Maybe maybe it will come down to the Wiltstone game. I hope it doesn't, but because um, they're good mates of mine, and uh, so let's hope um, let's hope that if we don't have to win that. Let's hope they're not in the in the mix at the end of the season either. Because that would be terrible. They've got an extra game after us, that's, but that will be our last game of the season because we finish uh, due to Macclesfield not being in the league. We finish on the seventh of May, and when else finishes on the fourteenth. So there's the story. Now I um. I fully believe that with the planned support and if they get behind us and they come on and make the, the place, it's a hard place to come when the, when the walks is buzzing, really hard place to come. And um, the fact that we are so adrift is irrelevant to me because if you look above us, there's two or three, there's a couple of clubs who have played three games more. So if we were to win those three games, plus we've got to play those clubs and beat them, the turn could be quite huge, the, the point shift. So I'm not giving it up as a lost fight. Okay, if we don't pick up any points in February, then we have to put our hands in the air but let's at least give it a go. And I think we've got every chance with the players that we've got, um, with what we've got planned, that we can have every chance of staying in the league. I really do. And uh, it will be a great turnaround and um, they can probably make a a statue of someone like uh, Tommy, and put him in the town market square. Um, if, they, if he if actually um, does it, but I don't see any reason why he can't. So um, we're doing all we can to back him, and all we can to to keep the club going on an even keel. And I am being attacked for lack of sponsorship and stuff, and it's just down to time. I mean, I'm trying to bring in a commercial person, which we, we, but at the moment, you know, a lot of these things just takes. Unbelievable amounts of time, which people don't realise, but we are doing what we can. So that's the brief update on Kings Lynn, all things Kings Lynn, and I hope that makes some sense. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people at the walks on Saturday. We've got every Saturday in February for those of you that fancy a trip to, to Norfolk. We're at home, so every single Saturday in February we're at home, uh, which is good. And um, we will just do what we can to to make uh, to make the place a, a fortress, and and hopefully we can we can you know get 12 points out of the 15 and then who knows, if we can turn it around. It will be, it'll be great. I, I think we can. I really, I really do. So that's it. Um, I'm going to get the interview on with Niall now. Um, and then I'll come back at the end and just give you a little um, you know, um, summary of a few bits. And um, we'll, we'll take it from there. So once again, huge apologies. Can I ask you, please, please, please to give me five stars if you like the podcast. If you don't like it, don't give me any stars, but I'd rather you just didn't put a star in the box. But if you can give me five stars, that helps with me getting up the rankings and that helps at all. But we have done very well. We're broadcasting 16% of our listeners are in America now, which is quite interesting. Um, we've got 87% male, not so uh, uninteresting that. We probably you would have guessed it. Um, uh, you know, but very good numbers in terms of... Um, people from around the world putting questions in. I know that lots of you have put questions in and I've got to apologise because I can't answer any of them because I haven't got them because I've lost them. So excuse my ignorance. Um, please send them again to me and I will. Uh, now I'm back on the track with all this. So I'll be able to put them in a file and make sure that I, I answer them because uh, I've, had, I've had quite a lot and they're, they're, they, are, they are quite interesting, some of the points. So I do apologise, but I am a little bit, you know, it has been very frantic and, 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 and busy. But anyway, let's get, let's get Niall on and I will come back to you later. Thanks. A huge welcome to Niall Cooper for his debut on the show. Hi, Niall. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, sir. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And apologies for the disconnection issues at the very beginning. My, my lack of a, a, a IT ability, I'm, I'm sorry to say. That's perfectly fine. So tell me, like, that, did, uh, you, you're... I mean, because I know there's quite a lot of people involved uh, um, with the... Am I giving it the correct title? The Fan-Led Review of Football Governance. Is that it's correct? Mm-hmm great title that, that, that's the kind of
1: government stuff and obviously what we are is we're we're fair game who are one of the uh, people that have been feeding into that review into football governance um quite heavily and fair game represents 34 value-driven football clubs that have kind of been working together with loads of experts from across the country to try and develop realistic long-term solutions to the problems football faces which is why we've been in such close connection with the with the Fanded review and. Yeah, DCMS
0: about ways forward for football really good okay so there's a lot of there's a lot to get into and it's it's very because you're an author you've written two books you're a Wimbledon fan aren't you to put your head above the parapet at this early stage of the yeah the session yeah I will
1: freely admit to being a Wimbledon fan heavily involved in in AFC Wimbledon I'm also away from fair game I am i I'm an elected board member of the Dons Trust who
0: obviously own AFC Wimbledon now okay and and uh, and you're also you were a journalist for five years, yeah, at the Independent, correct? And yeah, I was a
1: football journalist during during the happy times when when we were actually a paper. Uh, that's where I, yeah I was there and, and working quite hard at, at, on the on the desk. Good. I, I, and now you're at Amnesty, is that correct as well, or is that? You've Wait- got my biography completely <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm also head of media and PR at Amnesty International.
0: Great, great. So we've got we've got you now. Just just to recap on the Wimbledon thing because it's a great story and I've I've actually I think got one of your books which I've enjoyed reading but um that's for another day but what I would like to very quickly cover um I mean you'll find this very interesting I went to watch I'm a Chelsea fan in another life and um in an old life I still am a Chelsea fan but you know when I when you take over another football club you switch allegiances to that club it becomes your focus but obviously Chelsea's a, a team I've got a soft spot for and um Uh, when I went to watch Chelsea play in Norway, um, I have to tell you, the team we were playing, I can't remember, it was in the European, it was switched to the national stadium. And I was in, I was taken to a, a, a very nice apartment, an incredible apartment, of a very wealthy accountant. And he told me, this was this was the Wimbledon owner at the time, before it mer- morphed off into MK Dons. you wouldn't believe what was going to happen. And I said, what's going to happen? He said, I can't tell you. And he off- obviously was the accountant to the original guy that went off and did what he did. So um, it, 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 obviously, when it all came to bear uh, a, a few days later or a few weeks later, I, I, you know, it, it did all seem very wrong and unfair. But can I just check something? Because essentially, for, the, for our listeners we got listeners from all over the world um the, the guy got hold of Wimbledon and he relocated it and to to, to to Milton Keynes and that essentially couldn't happen in today's world is that right or am I wrong there I think have they tightened that loophole up
1: it's a bit tightened it's not completely you know I would say not completely padlocked in so it's one of the things that comes out of the fan-led review is the idea of making sure that that cannot happen again. So, you know, the kind of what football fans and, and fair game would call the kind of crown jewels of of a football club. So things like the name of the club, the, the club colours, the club badge and then obviously the location of where the club plays, right? The really kind of key things that kind of the football fan will recognise as what means something for their club. None of that should be able to be changed without the uh, permission of the supporters of that club. Um, now, at the percentage of what what that's defined on varies depending on which particular group you you're kind of you're talking to. And for us, we'd say seventy five percent of fans would have to vote in favour of that change, and then it would be allowed. So yes, you know, possibility is that the uh, moving a club from one place to another could happen, but only if. Those designated fans actually thought it was a good idea. Now, okay. Obviously, okay. in the case of Wimbledon, that would not have been able to happen because, of course,
0: ninety-nine percent of the fans didn't want the club to move. No. So, it, but today, in today's world, if someone was to buy, I don't know, a league club which which was owned by a benefactor and not by a you yeah. know a group of a trust, would they be able to move the club somewhere else? In today, would that be allowed in today's law or not?
1: <sighs> Potentially, yes. Um, there would be kind of an, an FA you'd have to put it through to an FA there are kind of ideas that you're not supposed to move it within a certain parameters I think it may be I think it may be something like 60 miles um, but again it would it would have to go through that process and you'd have to put through an, uh, a, a, a good case I and mean, that was still the case when Wimbledon were moved to uh, to that town in Buckinghamshire yes. uh, uh, you know that that for us that was you know a, a a big legal case that happened and then that's what that they voted to allow that to to go ahead so it's still it wasn't an easy process um but you know that that possibility still remains uh, you know feasible
0: feasible okay so it's not it's not a door that's closed off yet but i can imagine it's a door that you would like to be closed off in the very near future mm-hmm. Totally. yes. Yeah. yeah well i get that 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 does make sense because i can understand why you're I mean, I could I, I get it from his perspective as well. that He's putting a football club into an area where there isn't really a football club, and clearly, he's you know the supporter of that football club has done quite well. So you, you, you can get it, but but what you're saying is he should set another club up from scratch and go through the leagues as opposed to taking someone else's.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and sadly, there was a club called Milton Keynes City yeah. that subsequently fell, fell uh, folded, um, and that club was at the same level of where AFC Wimbledon started. Right. So you know, they could have bought Milton King City and put that, parachuted that into whatever they wanted to do and they build that club up. And that would have been a legitimate process of doing it, which I don't right. think anyone within the world of football would have necessarily had any issues with.
0: No, why didn't he do that?
1: Because it's, to get to the same league as, as they are in now, you have to get promoted, what, six times, which is okay. what I, I wouldn't have done. So obviously it was like, you know, kind of, Nobody thought any club would get promoted that many times. Got it, got
0: it. I get it. So it takes a bit of time to go through. Now let's go through um, the, the the fair game and because I, I mean, and the fan review of governance because I am, uh, and, it, and it's, I mean I'm interested in exploring it because I'm not we are not necessarily on different sides of the fence. I think there's some things we we'll agree on and some things we we'll disagree on, but that will probably be the case for you in members of your own group. And I guess there's some things in fair game that some of you will agree on and other things that you. Won't all agree on. Um, am I right with that, or do you all agree with absolutely everything that comes out of?
1: I mean, yeah, we've got 34 clubs, so you're going to have people that I'd say the way it works for our 34 is that they probably wholeheartedly agree with around 90% every club, and they probably tolerate the other 10%. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where you're at. You know, people have got different strong opinions about what they would see as the, the biggest priority. You know, we've got some uh, lower league clubs that, non-league clubs, that would say 3G pitches is their number one thing. And then we'll have higher clubs that will talk about uh, financial sustainability and transparency being the number one thing. And others will talk about equality standards. So it varies per per club. But overall, you know, I'd say there was a massive consensus behind what is being proposed, because um, it is about really reshaping and refocusing football to make it sustainable long-term which is I think the dream and the kind of ideal that's, that sits behind the fandom review and I think most people will agree with certainly definitely most supporters most you know as I say we would we call ourselves value-driven clubs and you know that's where we we've
0: kind of coalesced behind. Okay well the bit now this is this is an interesting and maybe slightly controversial view but it's not really my view it's I had a podcast with a chap who's an economist you may have heard of. He's written several books, and if you're being quite learned in the football world, probably do know. A chap called Stefan Szymanski. Um, does that ring a bell? He's written books about... Um, I don't know. He's just written books about football and, and, and lots about economics in football. He, he's a professor at a university in the States, but I think he's English, um, but based out there. But what he said, and this was quite interesting to me. Unfortunately, we did this podcast, and it and for the, it's the only time it's ever failed in my life. So I couldn't actually... Uh, broadcast it, which was really irritating because it, it was an interesting podcast. But what he said is, look, football isn't as bad as what everyone thinks. Most businesses in most areas go bust. He said, you tell me, and this obviously pre-Berry we did this, but he said, you, you tell me, Steve, a couple of clubs that have gone bust. So I said, OK, well, there's New Brighton, there's Thames. He said, yeah, but you're talking pre-war. He said, tell me clubs that, ha- don't, that have ceased to exist completely since, since the war. And I must admit, OK, Barry, we could now bring into that perhaps, depending on how it ends up. But it is true. And he said lots of other businesses have failure rates as well. And you can look at blue chip companies from Woolworth to, you know, to rail track in those days to everything else. They do go bust. So it, what, he, what he was really saying to me is that I'm not, he's not, I'm not saying he's anti the protection. But what he's really saying is, look, other businesses, it, they do fail and it's not unusual. And football clubs have actually got a better success rate than most people realise. What, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Um, well, I mean, largely, I don't, I don't 100% agree with that. I mean, you have got Bury and Maxfield. Also, since the turn of the century, 31 different clubs in our top four divisions have gone into administration. Um, that's not a sign of success. No. What you're happening here is you're having clubs that are basically being looking at being bailed out. And the people that lose out when a club goes into administration are often your local businesses around there because mm-hmm. once you have the uh, football creditors rule, which basically means that if you're a football creditor, you get your, you get full, full pay or full whatever um, out of it. But if you're the, the person that's come in as the, the, the plumber, the electrician, the kind of, you know, whatever the caterer or that, you know, those sort of people can get nothing or at best one P in the pound. Sure. So you get a load of kind of local businesses that suffer quite heavily from this. So the knock-on effect is quite dramatic. Um, and that affects the community. It's what you've got to remember is that football is not its not your simple business. It's, you know, you are a custodian of a tradition and a heritage that exists in an area. Correct. Uh, and I think where you've got to aim for is a situation where uh, also, also the amount of money that an owner puts into a football club. So in an average year, it's I believe it's £400 million pounds is how much EFL owners put into football right. uh, to keep their clubs afloat. And that is not a sustainable model. Uh, there's this lovely quote from Ian Mather, who's the CEO of Cambridge United. And he says, you know, there are only two types of businesses that budget for a loss startups and football clubs. And he yeah. says, Cambridge United is a 109 year old startup, um, which is a, you know, an absolute classic example um, that, you know, ultimately we need to move away from uh, football just being dependent on its owners to become sustainable a sustainable business because that's that's where it is. You know, that's the difference. You, you know, that economist may well have not thought, hold on, it's being propped up by people who are basically throwing money away just to try and chase a dream. We need yes. to move away from that to be a situation where, you know, you don't have that because ultimately, if the, if the owner was to walk away, then you put that football club at massive risk. And you do have the examples of what happened to, to Wimbledon uh, as being, you know, a classic situation of that. And then all those other businesses that have probably failed and collapsed, and the families that they support on the basis of those 31 clubs that have gone in administration
0: in the last 20 years. Correct, correct. Well, There's lots of points you raise there. So if you take Wimbledon as an example, Wimbledon are, are obviously a fan owned club or a trust owned club. It's, I guess it's a similar thing, um, rather than splitting hairs. They are, would you say, I mean, because I know you've got a chap from Goldman Sachs involved at Wimbledon and you borrowed some money from Goldman Sachs. I think I might be wrong there. You'll tell me this is to do your, this is to do your stadium. So I understand it's a capital project, but is, is Wimbledon then sustainable? Are you a, are you a profit making or a, a washing your face football club with your model? Does that work?
1: Um, we're close to it. I think where we, where we are in terms of um, financial sustainability, what we want to be moving towards is a, is clearing a debt that we've got because we've just built a brand new £34 million stadium, yes. which obviously is the, is the bit. And we're moving towards getting towards being financially sustainable. And that basically means that we can cover any kind of debt and that you know we, we're not going to be adding to our debt in it any period of time. So we're not putting the club at financial risk. And we're, we're in that stage now. Uh, we're not debt-free. We're still working to clear clear some of that. But we are you know covering the interest. We're not adding to it. We're not putting the club financially at risk. That's what we've moved towards. But, you know, I think the other thing with um, when you're looking at a, a fan owned club is that, you know, once you've got your assets in place, then you do move into a place of being financially sustainable. Um, though I would say that from a fair game perspective, we would not be espousing every club should be fan owned because that's just, you know, there's still an awful lot of money to be in football and there's an awful lot of risks that go with it. And, um, you know, and having both the fan-owned model and the kind of owner model are both fine. You know, they're both legitimate within football. And we, we wouldn't say, right, every club has got to move towards one model or another because okay. there are multiple ways of, of how, you know, business operates. Um, you know, anyway, and, and football ultimately is is one of these kind of unique businesses and we can't you can't take that bit away from it. OK, so you're not against
0: the benefactor model at all. Yeah, you're, that, that, that isn't part of this review scenario,
1: no, not at all. I'm not at all. I mean, not at all. I mean we, we'd be looking at the likes of Kingsling becoming a fair game club and backing it. I you know, totally would be would be up for that and be very supportive of that move because um, it, it isn't about ruling that out because you still have that, that uh, scenario and you still have people that really want to invest in their community and create a great community asset and a, a great community tradition. And that's to be applauded. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to take that away. I mean, you look at the brilliant community programmes that operate up and down the country and fair games model would be right that's something that we should be looking to invest in because ultimately that brings in brings the the football club and the community closer together and actually would make the football club more sustainable because you've got the people that are now proud to wear that club shirt proud to go in through those the, the turnstiles and feel much more connection to that to that club and that that is you know very simply more money and more revenue for that football club to survive
0: good and i think what we've got to remember is well the if you look at Tottenham Hotspur, their, their debt is enormous and they've got no intention of paying it off um, because it's it's at such low rates. A lot of it borrowed from the government at very low rates. They managed to b- bring down some money from the government at extraordinary low rates in COVID. And of course, they're making a lot more revenue than they did probably under the old White Hart Lane. They've got more revenue coming in. So they don't need to pay back the debt. And I guess it's not necessarily then about debt reduction. It's just about affordability of that debt. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, so what you're talking about in terms of financial sustainability, you're talking about a club that isn't at risk because of the debts and they, the, the situation they have. If that is um, affordable, and if that is part of your kind of um, ratio of income versus you know outgoings, oh, I'm going to forget the, the technical financial term, but there is a, there is a, a bit that we've got in our in our report that we've done on, on all of this that would, uh, that says right as long as that those don't as long as the amount of income is you've got doesn't exceed, doesn't, uh, isn't less than your outgoings, then fine is your financial model. And that sort of financial sustainability is the bit that we would want to see being central to any, any future governance of football. I mean, our model, our, our suggestion is this wonderful thing called the sustainability index, which I think is the key fair game kind of idea. And that is basically you to look at things such as the parachute payments that come from the Premier League to the, to the uh, championship and the potential new solidarity tax levy which is on transfers from premier league between premier league clubs and premier league clubs and overseas clubs and you put that all in a central pot and you allocate that to football clubs on a new index and that index scores clubs on financial sustainability good governance equality standards and family community engagement most of those kind of metrics already exist so you give every club will be placed in in a one to four category and depending on the better the higher the category you are, the more money you get, and that okay. for us is about really incentivizing clubs to change that culture of being reliant on a, an owner benefactor model and actually move towards financial sustainability. Where you know, if anybody was to walk away, that owner was to walk away, that club would
0: still be secure. Okay, yeah. now I get your point, and I think that's a good point, but let me give you the other side of it. And this is just from you're, you're a League One football club, Wimbledon. I know you're speaking with a different hat on, but yeah, Wimbledon's League One is that correct? Well, I got that wrong. Yeah, we are League One. Yeah. 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 So you're League One. So if you take Rexham, they bought one of your players for 300 grand the other day out of a Wimbledon player, which I thought was fantastic business from your perspective, by the way. Yeah. So Uh, yeah, yeah. Slightly
1: hurting from that, but yes.
0: Yes, I'm sure you are. But even so, 300 grand for 30 or plus they give him a six figure signing on fee and they're giving him seven or eight thousand quid a week and 500 quid a goal. The problem, what the point I'm trying to point is you're saying to me, and I accept this point. We should be sustainable, and I agree with you. But then the problem is, the league, in our league, we're two leagues below you, and we've got clubs buying players two leagues above us for hundreds of thousands. That's not Retson's first one. They bought another lad for 250 grand, as you know. They bought one from Burton for an undisclosed fee. I'm not just attacking Retson here. Stockport have done the same thing. Boreham Wood sold a player to Chesterfield for 250,000. Great for Boreham Wood, by the way. Brilliant business for them. But I'm just... What I'm I'm pointing about is we've got a, 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 a duty to be... Um, competitive in our league that's what we've got to do and we can't be competitive when we've got clubs in our league who are getting parachute payments of a million quid others with rich film stars banging in hundreds of thousands which I'm not against because I'm all about libertarian principles but you get the point it therefore makes our job or my job if I'm putting it about us as Kings Lynn very difficult to compete with these clubs which are you know how, how, how do we remain competitive and, and, and be fair to our fans and put out a product on the pitch, which is, which is decent, whilst we've got other teams playing, paying out ludicrous amounts of money which we can't compete with.
1: I think there, this, this really comes back to the principle behind the sustainability index, really. Because what we're saying is that somebody at a club like Wrexham or a club like Stockport would, would not be... And remember, that what we're talking about is we would want reallocation not to end as it currently does um, at League Two, but to actually go all the way down to National League South and North as well. So that's right. why I'm really keen to put money into those, those other divisions. But if you fail on your the core principle of the sustainability index, which is you're spending way more than you're actually getting in revenue, then you basically get a zero score. So you wouldn't be in a situation to get any of that reallocated cash. Whereas clubs like Kingsley or other clubs that are, that are not putting all that money in would be, at, would be able to get more a fairer share of that cash because what we want to do is move towards a situation where we have financial sustainability at the heart of football because if those rich movie stars were to get bored with Wrexham, then Wrexham themselves would be saddled with huge contracts for players they can no longer afford and the potential of that club going, well, tits up and going into administration and all those local businesses I talked about suddenly suffering is really obvious to see. So that's where you've got to look at trying to you know make sure that it's financially sensible not to go down that route but actually you know you're saying that as as a club that is run well and is run within its means then you get extra you get the cash to code that goes with it for be, for being a well-run club okay so, how much
0: cash will come down the channels like, what do you think we're talking about uh, the reallocation money for
1: uh, kind of depends, depends on how you i mean our model and i'd have to double check it but Off, I think, off the top of my head, are you talking about one or two million pounds a year
0: for a national league side? Okay, and for a a national league North and South side, what would that be? Seven hundred thousand, I think. How much? Seven hundred, did you say? Seven hundred thousand. Okay, so we'd all be happy with that. That would that would that would even it up. I mean, I love the American model hugely. uh, Where they, um, I went to meet the guys recently in Toronto um, who run the. Funny enough, the next Kingsland player was playing for Toronto, uh, Don Dwyer. And he um, was a, he, yeah, what they do there is that they, they pay, you, you have three or four players where you, you choose, which you can pay whatever you want to. And then the other players are all, the, all of their wages are fixed up to a certain amount. And their wages are paid by, by the league. But you lose 80% of your gate receipts. So you give away 80% of your gate receipts, but all your team is then paid for. Apart from the three or four players which you take outside the model and pay, you know, like for example, the one that Rexon bought off you, that would be outside the model, and so they would have to pay that one directly. But everyone else is all is all is all paid. I, I like that model. That would be a brilliant model, but that wouldn't happen. But um, <laughs> did you look at that model as an idea? Or was that, is no,
1: that- no, that's a really interesting model. No, we didn't. And what we did look at was um, a wage cap with a percentage of revenue. Mm-hmm. So that would probably cause wrecks and problems as well because that's actually part will be part of the licensing scenario so you'd be saying well actually this is the amount of money which you'd have to declare your revenue on a kind of um, very much like a, a you know like you would do with your uh, your tax assessment stuff so' it'd be going through that scenario very standardized um, with the kind of uh, you know spot checks just to make sure there weren't clubs you know fiddling it a little bit which there almost certainly would be a couple that probably would um, But you know, and then on the basis of that, you get your um, salaries allowed would be a a percentage of that. So that would mean that clubs that were, and that takes out the benefactor element, you're talking about the the actual kind of income that comes into a club. So that would mean clubs like Rexham probably wouldn't be able to afford the wages of Oli Palmer on the basis of that because you'd be looking at as a whole squad, what are you actually paying out? So, you know, you, and of course, any club could spend, well, they could afford Oli Palmer, but it means all the rest of their players might have to be on. Fifty pounds a week, sure. you know, which um, which I'm sure, uh, if Kingsling comes up against uh, Wrexham, then you'd be going like, well, all we've got to do is Mark Ollie Palmer the rest of them are only on fifty quid a week, and aren't, you know, in theory as good as Ollie Palmer. Yes. How, how good is he? Is he a great
0: player? Is he a great player?
1: We'll miss him because he's great defending and as a forward as well. He holds the ball up and he heads it up. He was probably having his best season he's had his best season in his career but you're right he's 30 he's yeah. going to, you know, only going to have a couple more years and the deal that they've offered him which i think is a two and a half or three and a half year contract yeah on you know wages that were over double a club in the league one you know you kind of go right well actually that's my security we have a policy of not offering really long-term contracts to players that are in their 30s so you know he was always going to be um a player that we would potentially
0: potentially move out no fair enough makes make, make sense so i've got a couple of first of all on the badge thing on your golden share scenario which i'm not against i get that but lots of clubs badges have changed over the years if you look at chelsea they had the pensioner to start with they had then they had the the, the lion which they got from the earl of cadogan the, the earl of chelsea's and crest um and then they changed it again to when bates made a different line then abramovich turned up and he's changed the line and so it goes on you know so man united we can have the red devils you know they, they've They've changed their badge a few times. So changing badges isn't shouldn't because they do have to change with the times a little bit, don't they?
1: Yeah, I mean again, I mean that's all about a vote for from our supporters. You know, so I mean it's not say it's not a no at all. It's just saying, right, like, this is something that if you're changing a badge, because it's kind of part of the history and traditions of a club, then you know, just put it to a, a vote. I would be very surprised if most badge changes wouldn't go through. I mean, like AFC Women have changed our badge, it's gone slightly more circular than it was pointed. You know, that would that's not going to represent a problem for us um i know grimsby town have just done a tiny tweak to their badge in the same scenario as long as it's put to the fans then you're really not i don't think you'd have an issue with that um you know it's it'll be the kind of fundamental completely ditching kind of an old crest for something new that's been dropped up by a, a pr person without any consultation with the supporters that's where sure. you probably have a concern with um but even then you know Market it the right way, then you'll be fine. Of course. It's, it's yeah. about making sure you have that proper relationship
0: with supporters, really. Okay, well, I mean, I did, I did change ours without the supporters, which, but I did it from the right. Um, I came from the right position because our badge was the town's crest, which we didn't have we had no marketing rights to at all. Yeah, well, I could have actually, to be honest got hold of the marketing rights, but I felt the town would then be upset with me. So I didn't want to do that. So therefore we had, I thought it was important we created our own badge. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was quite happy to, everyone liked our badge. So it it, it, it and it became more of a football badge. So that's fine. But I get your point. So it wouldn't be a major problem for me. Those things. I've got three things we've got to talk about with you, which I need to go through, which I think are important. So let's just do it. Number one is shadow directors. You're all in favour of having a board of shadow directors you know, to, 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 you know, to monitor the directors of the club is that is that right
1: the family review is very much in favor of that as fair game lean towards that but we wouldn't necessarily completely go with that i think what when you're talking about shadow board here i think the one big thing that's really important right. is that um you know they're fully qualified and what i mean by that is you can't have a shadow board that hasn't got the experience to take over a club if the club was to go into problems Okay, So I think that is important. You've got to have that skill set. And I think that's one thing we need to move towards. Um, you know, I'll be honest, when AFC, when the Dons Trust took started AFC Wimbledon, we probably didn't have the right qualified people to run a football club. We right. were starting in the county's League, so we were quite low down and we kind of got away with it. Um, but you'd be looking at if a person was taking over a, a club in the national leagues or, you know, in the in the efl then you would want to have a board that was capable of running a football club and that actually means training them and having people with the right skill sets to step in if need be and i think that's the way you've got to go you've got to go you know yes it's brilliant to hold um, a current board to account and make sure they have the right skills which is what the fandom review talks about but you've also got to make sure that if there is going to be anyone that comes in and your preference i think for most people would be the supporters groups then they need to also have that right skill set. Otherwise, you're just going to be replacing people that just actually don't know the ins and outs of a football club. And it is quite a, a skill. It's not like, you know, a, a, any ordinary fan can just instantly, instantly run, over, run
0: a football club. There's lots of stuff that goes involved. Of course. So, you, so what you're saying is they have to, they'd have to be qualified, but of a course, the... That... The, the board itself of the football club doesn't really need to be qualified. I mean, someone like Abramovich wouldn't have any professional qualifications, I wouldn't have thought. yeah, um, Probably many others yeah, I could put in that box. I,
1: I think the family reviews um, is really moving towards actually making sure that people did have the right standards and good governance within their boards. So there were kind of things that would be moving towards being accepted, accepted as a kind of... Um, Waking, you know, due diligence on how to on running a football club. Obviously, that varies and would be, would become less so the further down the pyramid you go. Because, you know, for example, Accrington Stanley staffing is four people, whereas I couldn't even possibly imagine how many people you would have at say, you know, Leicester City. Yeah, you know, there is chalk and cheese. So you you have to make sure that it's uh, applicable to the size of the club that you're talking
0: about. Yeah, and and there's my issue because. Stanley, run by a great guy we've had on the show uh before and he he probably i'm I'm only guessing here he may not well he may may not have the professional qualifications but yet he's run a big business and knows how to run businesses so uh, it always worries me when they're told you have to have professional qualifications because uh, a banker that wants to asset strip a club would have all the qualifications but wouldn't necessarily be the right person to be bringing into one
1: i think this is where you talk about experience as well as um as well as skill set so, you, you know, it's that kind of actual ability to know that role and be, you know, it's like if you were doing a proper external, if you're doing a proper external ad for a job like those, that they would, they be a person that would actually be qualified enough to do that. And when I mean qualified, doesn't necessarily mean they have this qualification from that university or that qualification from, you know, that school or whatever. It's about actually, are they fit and proper to run that thing? And that's where I think the independent regulator has to come into play it's about them setting the right standards i can make stuff up right here and now and it you know i'd rather have a, a regulator with that proper oversight and judgment to make those decisions
0: now and this this brings me on to another point which uh, who, who is going to be this new independent regulator
1: do you know i think that this is a really easy one right and actually what you need to look at is who are the best people that are at, at running regulation and have run regulatory bodies in the country, and that doesn't necessarily mean it comes from football. And football has got a very poor record, to be honest, of getting its own house in order. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the situation we are in now. So I think you need to look at who are the people that that are best skilled, who are the people that have got the right abilities to do that, and also making sure that you know, having uh, an inside knowledge of football is also important to have on that board. But I think the key really is to have the experts and the best people, and we should strive to do that. Football is a very... You know, it's, it's quite a wealthy industry. And so you should be able to attract the best talent. And that should be the goal of, of football, to do that, to make sure you have people who know how to run regulation, know how to make sure it runs smoothly. fair game. we've been speaking to a lot of people that are regulators outside of football, as well as inside football, I might add. Um, and they've been the ones who are identifying the, the solutions that you need to make sure it runs smoothly and that um, football clubs can actually do that. I mean, it, it's ridiculous at the moment when you talk about regulation, that banking's well-regulated, you know, schools are well regulated. Health, so health, are well regulated. You know, the fruit and industry, the fruit and uh, veg industry, is well regulated. Okay. And yet, at the moment, a football club is is less protected than a banana. Um, and that, for me, just feels a bit. You know, we need to be moving towards a situation. It's not scary regulation. It's about really putting in good practice and making sure that's smooth and easy to operate. Uh, yeah. And those those people do exist, and those people with that knowledge do exist, and we should be, as as a sport, reaching out to make sure we take. All those best people and put them all in to create a a, a body and a regulator that we're all proud of. So okay. It does, of course. Oh, you know oh, undoubtedly sorry. there's going to be times when it messes up, as it, as you'd expect in any industry. But we should always strive to have the best people we possibly can get.
0: Okay, so you've put together a board of people who are regulators, yeah, who, who have been used to regulating other areas. Yeah, and yeah,
1: obviously you have some football people in there because we're it's a unique industry too. But um, I think you need to look at people who really know regulation and know how to do it you know I'd, I'd want the best people
0: okay so what would your view be on the
1: fa being the regulator the fa is not fit for purpose at the moment okay um, you've, you've got a problem where also i think you have to really remember about this wonderful thing called vested interest and also who funds the fa at the moment who's putting the strings for the fa right. and at the moment a vast vast quantity of that money comes from the premier league um, which means is the fa really looking after the premier league or is it looking after the football uh, industry, football family as a whole? And my my view would be that it's probably not doing as well a job as it could do on the lower leagues and on looking at how you make the game itself healthy. It's looking at as a, a commercial enterprises that uh, supports the 20 clubs that happen to be lucky enough to be in the Premier League. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we need to look more about the uh, the kind of ecosystem with which football operates in to strengthen it from the grassroots up. And then that, I think... I think anyone with any kind of business sense would understand that actually ultimately strengthens the whole game, including the Premier League. Uh, so it's that more, as like a holistic approach that I think is missing. And equally within the FA, you've got a load of people in there that are, represent particular clubs or particular interests. And it's very difficult for people within that to go, right, well, actually, I'm, I'm here with, you know, I'm here, I'm not going to be thinking about that. I'm thinking about the, the wider interests of the game.
0: Okay. And, I, and it's interesting. So the FA at the moment, technically are the administrator, the, the adjudicator, aren't they? I mean, they're acting as it. Yeah? yeah, they are. They are. And well, they... Yeah. yeah, I don't think they have as much power as they should do. No, uh, but, but they're not fit for purpose, in your view. And then what's interesting about it is that the National League board... Because I know you've consulted all the various leagues as well. Yep. And, you know, I use you as in the fan that reviews, stroke, yep, fair game. I'm not sure which, which I'm using you as a, you know, ultimately changeable names. But the National League were consulted and they believe that the FA should be the adjudicator or the regulator. Um, Sorry, I lost that. Okay. So so the National League board thinks that the FA should be the regulator.
1: Yep. Right. Well, I would just, I would see, I mean, there's, uh... Yeah, I would think that the FA aren't actually doing a good enough job for the National League. No, that would be my view on, on that. Having, I mean, there are a significant number of National League clubs that are part of Fair Game, I and mean, we've got like thirteen to fourteen members right uh, within the National League. And you know, the the situation I think for us is really that we need to be moving towards um, a body that, you know, are the FA going to be campaigning tomorrow to say, right, well, actually that we need to get 25% of the TV revenue needs to be distributed uh, all the way down the pyramid and that actually a significant part of that needs to be going towards the National League clubs. I can't see the FA tomorrow coming out and saying, well, well actually, we'll back fair games proposals, which would mean between one to two million extra for a National League club and £700,000 for a national a club in National League South and North. I don't see them doing that because ultimately the people that are paying the, the FA or the Premier League, um, you know, so it's I, I've I've a, a, a heavy dose of scepticism um, with me on that. I think that the National League probably should be looking towards the regulator and towards Fair Games proposals because I think that secures the National League clubs much more than the FA does at the moment, um, and that's that's where I would definitely you know nail my mast, now my flags to the mast on
0: that one. Okay, and the, re- the regulator is paid for by the clubs, I take it. We'll have to pay a subscription fee to, to this regulator. Was that right? Uh, the
1: regulator would be a statutory body. Yeah. So you would be looking at it getting um, funds from that. I think what, what we would be looking at is ring-fencing some of the money that comes through from the TV revenues to pay that and make sure it had a decent amount of money to be able to run properly. There's no point being an independent regulator if it hasn't got the financial resources to run itself. Um, and then you've, what you've got to remember on, on that scenario, I mean, we're probably talking around between five to 10 million pounds a year to run a regulator to the level that it needs to be able to, to operate and judge all these clubs at that level. OK. Um, but remember that one parachute payment from one club that gets relegated from the Premier League gets 55 million a yeah. year. And, yeah. there are, and actually parachute payments exist for three years. So you potentially have nine clubs that are getting uh, that sort of sum a year. Um, just from the Premier League and we're saying right to sort football out and to sort out it's all its problems and its corruptions and it's and all the other kind of issues that come with financial sustainability and lack of engagement with supporters and um, you know community programs being properly funded you do that by just giving five million pounds to an independent body to do it um, and that for me seems like money very 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 well spent because um, that really if you're talking about what it could mean, you know with we, we we looked at it and at, at the moment in the the clubs all the clubs of league one league two national league south national league north national league the women's game women's professional game all put all of those clubs together and they still get less from uh, the premier League than one club getting relegated from the, the from their top flights as one club gets more money than those 140 others i just listed Mm. And that doesn't seem to be particularly equitable when you talk about that's one club with its one set of communities rather than 140 clubs with a 140 communities um, scattered across the country. So it doesn't seem very equitable at the moment.
0: No. So, should parachute payments be scrapped? Yes. Okay, simple question, simple answer. We wouldn't get that on a polit- polit- political show, would we? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a political answer
1: if you want, but... My answer, no, yes. no, don't,
0: don't, don't. I prefer a yes or a no. That's good. I mean, I think they should... I mean, because we've got the same problem. And this is, again, it, it's no disrespect to anyone, but Southend and um, whether the other team were, I forget now, who got relegated last year internationally, they get a million quid. So we're already a million quid down yeah, against those clubs. And then uh, that makes life tricky for us you know um because we're again. It, it goes back to the lopsided league again which i i, I disagree with i get the point um and because and, the problem is if you're a footballer and you come along to south end in league two and they're not doing so well the footballer has got his livelihood to consider and he's going to say well hang on if you get relegated i don't want to have a huge pay cut but your view is and i think mine is the same probably is that well don't sign then or accept accept the pay cut or make sure we stay up i guess
1: you're totally. I mean, I think the way you could kind have of looked towards moving towards is actually, uh, and uh, a lot of clubs are introducing this, and you know, I think quite a high proportion now have, is you know relegation and promotion clauses. Yeah. You know, that's they should be mandatory, really, because otherwise, you know, you've got to talk about the financial sustainability of a football club. You know, if the club goes down, yes, they lose revenue, um, and it and and a player has to kind of accept that that's the reality, because otherwise, you know, if you, if all the players kept all their wages whenever they went down. Then actually, what you do is you put at risk that club's financial sustain financial future. Yeah, yeah, I do
0: agree with you, and I agree that needs to be changed. But let's uh, so two quick things. If if you've got a club at the moment, you get your. Let's just say all that all what you want happens. So we get an adjudicator and a regulator that turns up, and he goes for all the clubs, and he he comes across one club, and he says, "You know what? I don't think this club has got the ability and the skills to to run a club." Now there's no reason for it in terms of there's no, that they, they haven't late paid anyone, everything's been paid to date and it's all on time and it's all going well from a revenue perspective and from a VAT perspective and the, the account has been filed to the league. So there's no reason for it, but the, but the adjudicator or regulator feels that the people on the board aren't experienced enough or professional enough or have enough qualifications. What happens then?
1: This is where I, there are two different scenarios. So the family review talks about introducing your stick. Here and that that is where you move towards the penalties of uh, point reduction, fines, and ultimately loss of a license, which means that club, in the extreme example, gets kicked out. Um, Which you know, I mean, yes, there's there's always a place for a stick, and we will be definitely looking towards the carrot of the sustainability index to make sure that club never got to that point. Anyway, I think the reality is is you need to move towards much more early warnings. Right. So you need to toward, move towards much more real time reporting. But the club the got like
0: nothing wrong that had it. It's only wrong in the regulator's eyes. Do you know what I mean? That it, it, well, do you
1: know, I mean, then you have to define what that regulator's eyes means because yeah. what are they? What are they? What are the issues that they have failed on? Because if they are issues that are clearly defined within a regulation, then you know you need to look into uh, measures about how you make that club improve. Uh, this is kind of where you move towards almost the off style model of going, right, well, this club's a bit in special measures and it's got this set amount of time to improve on these particular issues. And I think that's that's sensible. Uh, when you're looking towards the financial side of it, then that's where you have to move much faster. And the problem with Burry, what happened with Burry, is that Burry's collapse was very quick. Uh, quick. So it moved from being financially sustainable to being financially unsustainable in a very short period of time. And it wasn't picked up by their accounts because their accounts were filed, I think, Three years, you know, you were seeing counts at three. Sure. So you weren't aware of the kind of issues that were happening at Bury. Um, so if you move towards more real time reporting, which again is is relatively easy to introduce through some of the models that, that we're aware of at Fair Game, uh, that actually reduces the risk of that being a, a one of the problems that a regulator goes, hold on. You know, if you're going, actually, look, we can see you're drifting towards financial and sustainability, and sustainability, you need to rectify that. A regulator flags that up much sooner than you're kind of in a situation to put in remedies before uh, the, you know the ultimate sanctions start coming to place.
0: Yeah, so I think Barry is an exception to the rule, and I accept with, with Barry, everything went wrong, <clears throat> It was terrible. But it, it's not just the current owner, the pre, the, the last owner of Barry, <clears throat> Stephen Dale. It was the previous owner as well. Yeah, that you could also put some blame at his door because I've always said when you sell a club, it's it, it you're really it's down to the it's down to the current custodian to find the guy or the girls or whoever it is a mixture of the same with with with, with the right intentions yeah and that's the person now, if they've got the wrong intentions you you're pretty scuppered from day one um, and the guy that took Barry that had no interest wasn't interested in I mean I don't know why he did it and it almost looked to me like a dumping exercise by someone to, to get rid of the liabilities so, you know so i can accept you know, uh, 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 that going through a committee and understanding whether that should be allowed or not. And that perhaps would have come out a bit more had he had a whole board of directors in to to help. But I do also feel that if it's a subjective thing where the league are saying, well, you know, the regulator's saying, I I don't feel that... I mean, let's use... Chap at Accrington is a great example, Andy. They and say, I don't think you've got enough corporate experience or this. Well, you may have run a business, but it's not good enough in terms of this. Your board members are only four, you need to have 10. You know, and that's the worry for me that, they, they, that there's no real reason for it, but they just feel that there is, it doesn't fit into their rules and the rules are rigid and they're not looking at the bigger picture and saying, OK, well, this guy's done quite well for several years. Do you see what I mean? That's the, that's the bit that worries me.
1: No, i get that um you know i this is why i kind of think you can't have um the rule that would affect premier league and championship clubs being the same rule that would affect no- national league north and Northern south clubs of course because you're talking about a, a, a scale of uh, of accountability you know and and the kind of people that are involved there and i think that's what's that's what's really important as possible as well I think where we would want to move towards is having some of those structures and some of those ways of measurement being paid centrally so that, you know, that wasn't becoming a a burden towards those clubs. And some of those kind of best practices um, obviously move, become more rigid, the further up you go, because, you know, certainly, you know, I think of uh, a club that's a fair game club like Tunbridge Angels uh, down in National League South. You know the the way they operate is very much is it's slightly above hand to mouth, but do you know what I mean it's quite a small operation, and for them you, you wouldn't want to add loads more burdens onto how they operate because considering that uh, what they do is is amazing given the resources they have. Right. So you you need you need you know do need to think of horses for courses here. Yeah, it does
0: need some common sense, and football lacks common sense. So that's why I worry about it. Yeah,
1: uh, football, so That's exactly another reason for an independent regulator.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: you know because you haven't got when you've got uh say for example uh, i mean league one's a brilliant example you've got sunderland you've got Accrington stanley so like you know if if you have sunderland making all the decisions for league one then it's certainly not going to benefit Accrington stanley is it no um, you know so but then if you have Accrington stanley making the decisions it's not going to benefit sunderland so yeah. it's it's the same scenario where you've got to think about actually what is the common sense uh solution and those are the ones you have to move towards not which is the problem you have with, with the FA and with some of these bodies because they are run by clubs that aren't independent. They haven't got that view of thinking about it in a, in a much more overarching uh, way. And I think that's what we actually need to move towards. And I say that as an AFC Wimbledon fan, right? You know, sure. I, I, could, I, I could totally espouse everything that my club represents, but actually that, that model doesn't work for, you know, 75, 80% of football clubs. Correct. It, it doesn't. And, you know, I accept that um you know while obviously espousing the virtues of how we operate to our fan base um and that's really important for us because that's what we stand for and that's what we believe in as, as a as a club but as part of the efl that would be you know it wouldn't be the right thing to do for so many of the other clubs there
0: no i agree i think the issue for me is the devil's in the detail but i'd have to see the detail to work out you know if it works yeah and i guess you can't put that detail together at the moment because you're not at that stage. So we're kind of you know, a little bit you know, at a standoff on it.
1: I mean, our, our manifesto kind of a, a spreads out a lot about it. And you can get that on our website at fairgame, uh, fairgameuk.org. Right. You can see that and it, we've, it's quite clear on there. And you can get a sense about what we actually believe and how we, our view is on, on the family review. And it's, it's very well spelt out. And I said, we're all about long-term solutions. So... Um, you know that's that's there and it's it's something for people to digest at, at their leisure and get a real sense about
0: how we can see the directions of football going and being improved Sure I think the principle don't get me wrong I, 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 I'm, I'm on board with you on the, with the principle of it all yeah? it's just I, I don't like sometimes you know uh, sometimes you you get people hitting us with you with a stick and you think well that actually doesn't really need a stick it needs a little bit of love because yeah? uh, these guys are actually doing what they can and they're trying their hardest <laughs> But you uh, and we've got to go wrapping all the knuckles yeah?
1: Um, that's kind of where, where our sustainability index comes back for it, you know, if you want, it's it's showing a bit of love to the good well-run clubs.
0: Sure, sure. And I get, I'm not I think that's a good thing. And I, I mean Tunbridge Angels is a bad example for you to use because they knocked us out the FA Trophy recently. Uh <laughs> I'm still feeling pain there. Uh, <laughs> but, sorry, I
1: shouldn't mention that. I didn't yeah, think
0: well, I don't say they deserved it. We, we should have had two penalties on the day, and we were robbed. Uh, but we've been robbed with penalties recently. As you've probably seen it. Well, you, you may not have seen, but if you follow my Twitter accounts recently, I've been putting the penalty decisions up. And funny enough, actually, even the FA are agreeing with me. So it's not like I'm actually making it up. But it doesn't actually affect the fact that we are still <laughs> it, still robbed. But but good luck this, to them anyway. This is,
1: honestly, this is one of the biggest problems of running a, a club, uh, running an organisation that's made up with uh, with thirty four different football clubs. One, I have to kind of keep an eye on how they're all performing. And yeah. two, you know, when we go into meetings, you it, it, the likelihood of it all uh, kind of getting sidelined by somebody ranting about a decision that happened. But, you know, that, that happens a lot. Um, but ultimately, we have to always remember that, you know, you can be rivals uh, for 180 minutes in a season, but you know, the rest of the time, we're all kind of make, trying to make football better.
0: It's um, a very strange thing, isn't it? Because you sit with the op- op- opponents. <sighs> before the game and you're all terribly nice to each other, but really you want, you've got to beat them.
1: <laughs> I find it really difficult when I'm in the boardroom. I've got to be honest. I am absolutely, I'm an Ardent Wimbledon fan. I was a mascot like a million years ago. Um, you know, I'm very yellow and blue in my, in my outlook of football um, on a Saturday afternoon being in the boardroom with opposing directors and I will be really nice to them, but I find it quite hard because I, you know, I just want to be, shouting and screaming and cheering on my team and hoping we get the the three points or, or the win in the, in the cup every single Saturday afternoon, you know, oh, that's and, cool. and that, that's 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 a challenge that anybody who follows any football club would, would face. And that's kind of, um, but, you know, the ultimate, the end of it, you've got to put that to the side. And just think, how do we get football better so that everybody has a fair chance?
0: I agree. I do agree. Well, the final point, which I think is important, and it's something that wasn't mentioned that I saw in the report and it a little bit it upset me a little bit because we see Gary Neville and I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed with Gary Neville because not, not on a personal. I, I like what he says a lot of the time, but he he went in you know, he basically bankrolled a club with his billionaire mate and his five multimillionaire friends. which is, And I've got nothing against that. But he, he had a budget of well over two million quid, which was all. Um, for want of a better word it was all financially engineered and they got promoted and now he's saying to us well now he's in League 2 or League 1 he'd like to change that situation and um, and, and he, has Gary Neville seen the light or has he reversed what he, is he saying what he did previously was wrong and he lived, if he lived life again he wouldn't do that he'd live within his means or well, what's happening there do you
1: know what that's an absolutely fascinating one and one that uh, has come up in many a meeting yeah. that I've had with some of the, the clubs you know because Salford City uh, should you know be why are they not become a fair game club and why is Gary Neville not a fair game spokesperson you know because the language that he espouses is fair game language um, there is just a you know the like you said about where where Salford City have come from and what they've how they've got to where they are is an interesting one to to examine and it's a it's a lovely paradox that doesn't quite win you know doesn't quite, sit amazingly comfortable with me but you know if Gary Neville can say the right things and things change because of what Gary Neville says then you know full credit to him uh, it'd be interesting to see what he then thinks about uh you know his readjustment on uh, where Salford City have come from And um, you know it's it's a very very interesting one and one that we've we've had I've had many a long conversation about that have you I bet I bet so he's not but why is he not a fair game spokesman have you asked We've spoken. To, we've spoken to people connected with Gary Neville. So um, David Bernstein and David Davis are part of a group called Our Beautiful Game. Mm-hmm. Um, both are really good friends of Fair Game. You know, we will speak together, and we will. We have been on sessions together and stuff like that, and we, we speak very much the same language. And Gary Neville's part of that group. Um, so you know, I've had indirect conversations with Gary Neville, but not direct conversations with Gary Neville.
0: Mm, weird, isn't it? You think he would be more directly approachable, but. There we go. Such so as what, what, what? One image they put out, and another image which is, the, which is the reality. But we're leaving with it. But here's the thing. Okay, let's move on to this because you can't if you haven't spoke directly. Not much we can, we can, we can find out about it. But let's let's do this, which is I think fascinating, which is, which is left out the report as a final point. The word academies, academies aren't really mentioned, are they in in the the review that I saw?
1: Not that I can think of, and it, oh. there's quite a lot of issues about academies. So. Yeah, and I,
0: I, 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 see, I think the whole thing is wrong. See, what this this is me on my high horse a little bit. But, let, let, but he, hear me out for it and see what you think. So this is all about grassroots football and not just about grassroots football. It's about football being better for everyone, for grassroots, etc. The academy system at the moment is dreadful. It doesn't work. What it means is if I have a 14 year old, I have lost two or three 14 year olds, two or three 13 year olds and a 17-year-old this season, OK? Because I can't put them under FA rules under contract. It's not because I don't back myself to do it. And I'm quite happy to put the money in myself so it's not putting the club at risk. But I'm not allowed to do it because we're not allowed to put them under contract until they hit the age of 18 or unless they've left school, we could put the one at 17. So that means that any other professional football club can come along, steal them, which is essentially what they do. They offer nothing. And you'll say to me, well... Steve, the some of the some of the Premier League clubs would look after people, and the answer to that is no. Crystal Palace have stuffed a team recently um, in the National League South. I do know who it is. I won't embarrass them to say who it is, but they they thought they were going to get one thing, and they got another. I don't get me wrong; they've done nothing illegal. It's all perfectly above board, but it's not in the spirit of things. Is the way I would put it. So uh, I just feel that. The academy system if this report it, it wants someone like me really on board with it if they were to say you know what this academy system is unfair it, it's, it's completely wrong that there are no clubs underneath the 92 that are allowed to generate players or protect players we're only allowing 92 clubs that right that needs to change and I've been banging on about this for about two years uh, but no one seems to well I'm getting some people to listen to it but not enough so don't you think that should change really quickly and that should go into the report?
1: That's something that we mention in our manifesto. We talk a bit about the academies and the issues that you've got in terms of how um, how the kind of you get proper compensation for players being poached because it isn't particularly fair and it isn't right at the moment considering the amount of investment you put into it. Mm. Um, so I think that that definitely needs to be looked at because at the moment, you know, you, you can put all that investment in and you get nothing back and then equally that ties back into what we were talking about in terms of the sustainability index because you know if we want clubs to be financially sustainable then you actually need to think about the investment they put into their players has to be considered because that actually strengthens long term again the benefit of football because if you've got good academies at all levels Correct. then actually you have you can be something you know transformational now what what we looked at going back to this amount of money that a, a parachute payment parachute club gets as opposed to how much it costs to run a category three academy we've done that the maths there you could have for just the cost of one parachute payment 70 fully funded category three academies mm-hmm. And that would be, imagine if you had a Category 3, which is higher than the categories that most National League clubs operate at in every single National League club and National League South and North club, because that's basically what you're talking about. That would produce such a high level of new talent coming through to the game, as right. well as creating a great community asset for so much so much football. You know, that would be brilliant. And that's yeah. just one parachute payment in one year to one club. Yeah, well, I agree with you. Yeah, but they don't do it
0: they don't do it do they that's the problem they don't want to let that happen no one wants to let that. Because in this report, why doesn't that happen that doesn't well, happen
1: because you haven't got an independent regulator yeah it doesn't because tracy crouch
0: account. with her review hasn't spoken to she's gone to the to the big club she's identified all those and she hasn't taken this whole point about the academies and put it in the report because forgetting this side of it the other side of it is that academies don't work for the kids it's a 98 percent failure rate which is dreadful and then your kid can't go anywhere without being bought by another you know, club. And that seems a bit wrong in today's society, but maybe I'm being a little bit too
1: left. I think, I think you're being right here. I mean, this is where, you know, what we've got is you've got a family review that, as I said, you know, we, you and I could probably agree with a vast majority of it. doesn't mean to say it can't be improved. No. It doesn't mean to say that Fair game isn't looking at those other issues, because ultimately, you know, what we're talking about is making sure... <laughs> I'll, be, I'll use a phrase that, um, you know, some people are going to find Marmite It's the levelling up agenda,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: If you want to try and make football fairer and you want to level up in all these communities that we're talking about, for which, as I said, 140 from League One down that we're basically talking about here, um, then start being realistic about investing and making sure you protect those, the assets and the investments of those clubs that are involved, because they're the ones who are going to strengthen those communities. And it seems to me to be a complete no-brainer, really. Um, And that's where we've got to move towards. That's where I think the argument going forward is about. It's not about whether you weaken the fan-led review. It's about strengthening it and making sure that the redistribution that goes with it is to the right places and done to them, given to the right
0: clubs that are doing the right things. Yes, I agree. I agree. And it's hard to get training facilities as well. That's our, one of our problems at King's Lynn. It's just where we go. Yep, yeah, we can't... Yeah, well, so I mean, lot...
1: This is where I go with King's Lynn. You know, the example there would be, right, if you actually looked at properly backing the sustainability nicks that we talk about, then you're talking about capex projects that mean that the, uh, the facilities that you need are of the right level, whether it's for your training facilities or whether it's your stadium and your ground. So that you've got people that really want to be part of the Kingsman story. And that's where I think we need to be moving towards. And that's certainly what we're campaigning with and talking to numerous politicians who are increasingly coming on board and backing what we're saying, because we're saying, right, you know, fine. The family review has lots of great things in it, but it's all about a stick. It's not about a carrot. It's not saying, right where do you where do you reallocate this money? Where do you how do you re change the game long term? And that's where we're looking at. And I think we're, you know, the momentum is with us, but we need more people to come on board and back what we're doing and support what we're doing from the the MPs to the clubs.
0: Yeah, of course I do. I, I do get that. And, and you've got to look at a lot of so just to give you an idea, we we've set up this this season um, under 13s teams and under 15s teams with a lot of local opposition. A lot of people Trying to say, well, you guys shouldn't be doing this because we're doing it already. These are—I won't go into who they are, but they're not football clubs, but they're—but they are. They have football teams, so that makes sense. So they don't like us doing it, but we want to do it because we think the level of coaching isn't good enough. We want to bring in good players. And we want to have a pathway from from a young pathway all the way through, and and we've we've succeeded in this, by the way, which a you know, lots of other people haven't. We've sold. I think, nine players over the last two seasons. We, we, we can Not all of them come through this pathway because it wasn't there. But we are, we're in the process of generating it with a, an academy at school. And we've done that. And we've, we're, we're going to add a further education part to it, et cetera, as well. But the problem is, what happens is we have our under-13s. They're top of their league. They're playing very well. And all the scouts from the local professional clubs, I'm talking championship clubs, Premier League clubs in the area, they turn up and they just take the players. Now the problem then is they lose they, the player. Then gets driven three or four days a week down to wherever their training ground is, and in ninety-eight point five percent of cases, they're going to fail and be thrown out at the end of it all. They have, the parents will have no communication with the coach. They won't be able to talk to them. They, they, they will get it on a six monthly or yearly basis, but they won't be able to watch in the. In the year. So what I'm saying is. It does. it's not great for the kid. You know, it's not great for us because we just lose our players we get no compensation for it. And I've said to the, to the FA, surely a simple solution is to say that player was at Kings Lynn, so we're going to allocate 15% of any of his transfer revenue for forever in the future and we're going to pass it to you and if he was with another club before Kings Lynn got him, we're going to pass it to that club too. Isn't that a simple solution to resolve the problem?
1: I think it's a brilliant solution to resolve the problem. I think where, where we're at, um, this goes back to fair game, is that fair game is very much like you know, I'm never going to say we have all the solutions to everything. Our aim is always to develop the best solutions and to build on the best solutions and try and make them even better. So they really answer all the questions that we need. Um, so new ideas are 100% welcome with us. And we have from our 34 clubs, we have people that will come to us from those clubs and say, right, OK, we're look, we're interested in this as a concept. Can you test it? Because the people that are experts that work behind the scenes, and they're the kind of they're the Kieran Maguires and Christina Philippus and Rob Wilson's and Dan Plumley's, these are all really well respected at, at football academics and sure. financial people who know this stuff, along with people who've worked in the game for a long time. We put it to them and they kind of do a bit of an analysis of it. We'll come back with a paper saying, Well, actually, you know, you've taken this and that can work, or actually, if you tweak it this bit, then that's what's potential, and they'll really model it. And that's what we've, we've been doing with a lot of things. So we will take. Ideas, and we will test them because our view is is that you know we've got ideas, we've got um, thoughts, we've got things that are properly tested, but it doesn't mean to say we come we've come out with all the best solutions and all the best answers. Our idea is we know what the problems are. Let's try and find the, the solutions to those that are most workable and deliver. So the idea of a a fifteen percent uh, kind of revenue cap for a player that maybe has been with a club for three years or whatever, you know, you'd probably have to put a timeline on it. Is it's a really interesting concept whether it whether it works uh, I don't know but it'd be really interesting to see if our team of experts are able to come through on that and that's the sort of thing that we get our fair game clubs will come up and, and say can you can you look into this and we do look into things like that
0: okay good well put it
1: put it to them let me know what they, what they say and also if I'm just saying stephen there's one simple way
0: become a fair game club we'll, and we'll get you we' we'll experts on it okay good well we might well do that we might well take take you up on it because uh, the one thing I would like to say about it is, I don't think it could be three years because we won't keep them for three years. Because if it's a ten-year-old kid, believe oh, me, I know you. I know you. Yeah, but we we won't keep them for six months. That is the problem. And uh, but we can see the potential in the kid. We want to we want to develop them. And um, and I, you know, look, I've got a mate that's got a kid that's signed to a top top pro, uh, Spanish club. He's over here at the moment, taking him around. Lots of Premier League clubs want him, etc. And he feels that the best way to him develop his kid is, to, I mean, he's got, he's in a fortunate financial position, is to pay for the kid's own uh, tuition uh, privately, his own coaching, rather than mortgage him out to a, to a to a Premier League club to use as a you know uh, a, a chattel for whatever what you know, to use to use any word uh, to be hawked around and he feels that's the better way so he might well be right but that's an interesting area as, as well and so he would actually be quite happy to take them down to a club like ours because we can't put a, a, a thing on them and we wouldn't necessarily want to uh, own them as it were but we would like if we've developed them to be recompensed at some point in the future if and when the the the, the lad develops that's already. <laughs>
1: I think it's a fascinating and a really good thing to look into and explore and I'd be really interested in that. Good, good, we agree.
0: (laughs) uh, I agree agree on most things, to be honest. Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, I think we do a lot of things. On. It was just what I was worried about which is purely the benefactor model has to go and it has to be run. But it's because I get a lot of people saying to me, I'll oh, help, I'll help, help. And then I say, okay, the shortfall this month's 100 grand. Do you want to give me a check for 20? And they, you know, and they don't. So, um, and, I, and that's the problem. and And equally, I agree with you 100% that it's not the way to run a football club because um, putting in lumps of money. Uh, you know, you have to have the fans buying in and you have to, you know, and it is hard because it's, people don't realise the costs and they just get the crowd. They multiply the crowd by um, the number of people that's what you're getting. They forget about the VAT, which is in all the tickets, and that to me is, is something the government actually could have done to help us all out of the uh, the, the COVID scenario. They could, they, they've reduced the price on uh, VAT on hospitality, which are basically full up, and all the hotels are full. In my opinion, don't really need it anymore. And they didn't do anything. Why, why don't they just let go of the VAT on football ticket prices? That would have been a huge help and an easy an easy win. But anyway, you get the point. So uh, it, 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 it it is sometimes you need to put money into because you can't expect people to turn up with your vision unless you're actually doing something about it. But then equally, there needs a point to it. It does need to be sustainable. I agree with you, because as I've always said, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow morning, they will find my wife a lot less generous than they find me. So um, <laughs> it, it needs to change. I do agree with that. So we're probably broadly off the same hymn sheet, I would have thought, hmm. Well, there you go, Stephen. There you go.
1: You now know my number and my email. So, you know, the, the offer to become a fair game club is
0: very much there. OK, well, let's chat about it. Come down and watch the game when you're not playing. I'm actually sitting very close to your stadium at the moment, by the way. I'm in, I'm in Wandsworth, just up the road from a mile and a half up the road. <laughs> well, you know, when, when we yeah. score a goal, you can probably hear us from there. Yeah, probably can. I'm not here very often, I'm like, so <laughs> just I just popped in. But, yeah, it's... um. Yeah, no, you know, you've done terrifically well. I love your new stadium. I've got the book on it. We are home. I bought that book. Yeah. So um, there you go. Um, something you didn't know, probably, but um, but I like to support clubs that are that doing well because I'm um, putting their heart and soul into it because it needs to be rewarded because lots of people don't. you know, that, that, that's the issue. Um, but you've done you've done brilliantly. So uh, hats off thank to you. you mm. Good. Well, thank you. Anything else you'd like to finish on, or are you are you? Um, Got no, I think
1: that's, that's all done and dusted. Thank you so much. Wonderful to spend some time talking to you this afternoon. Yeah, I've
0: enjoyed it. Hopefully, it's been a little bit different to the average uh, interview we've been having. You've been having.
1: <laughs> no, brilliant. Thank you so much. And uh, best of luck to King's Lynn.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Niall. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. So, there you go. Niall Cooper. Um, very kind of him to come on. Many, many thanks for him. And I hope, hope you found that an interesting interview, slightly different to what you've heard elsewhere and perhaps drilled a little bit more deeply into it than other, others did. And I thought I thought, it, I thought it was interesting myself. So I enjoyed doing it and I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. So that's that. Um, I think just to give you a little bit, of th- a few bits and pieces to recap, I think um, we're going to see extra promotion places in the extra promotion place, I should say, uh, in the National League at the moment. As everyone knows, there's three clubs come up from most club, most leagues into the next league and three clubs go down. Often some, there's four clubs that go down. Now, it's very interesting to see how it's going to happen. But I'm expecting, if it's not next season, but certainly the season after, for an extra promotion place to come into the National League. Um, now, how, how I would do it, because what's going to happen, of course, is that the... Um, that means that an extra club is going to be relegated from League Two, which is going to meet resistance, uh, obviously, from League Two clubs, because they're going to say, why would, a, why would a turkey vote for Christmas? And you can understand their argument, because they all have to, duty to protect their clubs. So I get that. The only, so the way I would resolve it is, uh, and I have suggested this, is that they amalgamate um, the entire National League into the Football League, um, not the North and the South. That then moves up a level to become the premium non-league competition. Um, and then it to be split into north and south league two so it 's league two north and league two south, and that way only the bottom club will go down and one club out of the other one. So at the moment your bottom two goes down, so this way you 'd only be it's only the bottom club falling, um, which would be the same situation actually fact there 's two clubs going down at the moment now one one league will have one, one league will have two, and that game could even be a game between the two bottom clubs. Um, which would be... A, and, and perhaps the loser which gets relegated keeps the cash. I don't know. There could be quite a lot. could be a, be a huge game. I can imagine it would be a big crowd at Wembley, and I can imagine, they if you get relegated, it might not be... Normally, it's a competition. Someone's gone up and saved up, but once someone will be staying up and someone will be going down. So um, w- whether that would be problematic in terms of crowd disturbance remains to be seen. Who knows? Who um, knows? But I would, you know, I, I, if it was me if I got, if I had to get relegated, I'd rather take the money uh, before, before at least I feel something a little bit happier um, and it gives me more chance of getting back up. But of course, as you just heard, all these parachute payments—they want to stop them as well. So that would, you know, I understand that and I don't disagree with it. So there we have it. So there's lots, lots of thought. That's the whole point. I'm not trying to get people to think what I think. I'm trying to get people to think about things, and then you know, it, it gives a, it gives a broader picture really. So. What else could I tell you that 's about it really I think um, I think the, uh, the, the everyone's marching on um, everyone's changing a lot of changes going on there's obviously a lot a lot of people talking about salary caps next year that's still going on at working groups uh, stage at the national league whether we 're going to put a soft salary cap or a fixed salary cap that seems to be voted down by the working group but um possibly still wanted by those that want to vote for it. And, you know, I, I think it's very interesting. So I, I'm, I, I think there needs to be some kind of... I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not for salary caps, but I do accept the point that if you're a big club with a huge revenue stream, then why shouldn't you spend it if you're not jeopardising your club? But equally, the competition needs to have... And I know you've, you could argue you've got Chelsea and you've got, I don't know, um, as an example, um, you've had your Sheffield United, your Norwiches of this world, etc., etc. So, but. But I get that to an extent, but there is some financial fair play rules, uh, at least, which there's none in our league, absolutely none. If you want to spend £30 on wages, you can go and do so, and there's no one to stop you. So there's got to be some level of sensibility, otherwise we're all, um, the the league has got no real competition to it, it's it's just whoever's got the most cash um, will win. And that, you know, that that is normally the case, but we need to be able to have the odd Leicester City result, etc., and otherwise it becomes uninteresting but the only thing i would caveat with there's so many clubs with so much cash at our level that um 13 14 x league clubs that that with a lot of foreign backers um american backers we've seen an american backer go into wildstone this week as well todd johnson they've announced that so um sure he'll enjoy the ride um uh, maybe we're got a call from an american next that would be lovely uh, see so if you're in America feel free to give me an email uh, we always love to uh, love, love to chat um, and um, y- y- see what we can do anyway that's it that's the story I hope you're up to date with what's going on with the National League and what's going on in in, in, our, in our corner of the football universe um, it's, it's a lot of there's a lot of things I, I, be, I meant to talk to you about over the last couple of months and I haven't put them all down and I'm going to be a lot more organised going forward so there we go expect another another podcast at the end of the month beginning of next month uh, but if I do and I have got one or two lined up. I'm hopeful they'll come come through because um, that's obviously that's where it all falls down. I try and arrange people to come on the show, and they let me down at the last minute. It doesn't happen often; but it happens occasionally, and when that happens, um, it throws out the entire podcast. So, um, anyway, you get the point. I will do my best to uh, be more regular. There we have it. Um, take care. I hope your team wins, whoever it is this weekend. Um, enjoy yourself. Keep keep safe. We seem to be battling through this. Uh, these issues, and coming out the other side. So there's hope yet. Take care. Bye now.